Welcome to another episode of Make Defense Great Again. My name is Chris Vassar, a.k.a. Coach Vass. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, we welcome football royalty and one of my favorite people in all of media, NFL analyst, senior writer, podcast host, and television contributor for ESPN, Mina Kimes. We talk about her weekly routine in season, how she studies the game, the tools an analyst at ESPN uses, including some pretty fun toys, a good discussion about analytics, and more. Now, this was originally recorded in early May of 2022 and was supposed to be part of a summer series where I picked four of my favorite people outside the coaching world and had some fun conversations. However, once again, I had a year ransacked by COVID and I was sick for about three months. And by the time I felt up to doing anything, it was time for football season to start. So I saved this for the holiday break. And because of the eight-month delay, there's some references that are a little outdated, so bear with us. This is a pretty big fanboy moment for me, as I think Mina is the best in the business. And I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I did talking to her. Before we get started, it's been a while since I've done some pod news, so let's catch up. I will be hitting both podcasts pretty hard in 2023. The last couple of years, the pod has kind of taken a back seat as I adjusted my life to this new role that I'm doing. This as well as doing freelance work and getting knocked on my ass for a total of six months over the last year and a half with COVID has not helped. However, we're going to have way more content starting in early 2023. We also have a new partnership to announce. I signed with Megaphone, which is a subsidiary of Spotify. And as a result, you'll be hearing more traditional pod commercials with mainstream advertisers. Running a podcast at a high level is way more expensive than I ever imagined. And this will help support the shows. I know ads can suck, but they really do help. So please, no hate mail. Also, before we get into the show, if you want a free CoachTube course for a weekly in-season plan, want to check out my CoachTube tight front bundle, or anything remotely related to me or the pod, go to linktree.com slash coachvass, or just go to my Twitter account, at coachvass, or the show's account, at Podcast, and you'll find it there. You'll find links to the Patreon account. The orange tier is the most popular which has a huddle library chock full of almost 2,000 hours of all 22 goodness, drill tape, etc. During this season, we've added both offense and defense for Alabama, Army, Baylor, the Dolphins, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Oregon, Texas. Defenses including Cincinnati, Illinois, Iowa State, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, the Ravens, and Wisconsin. And the offenses of Coastal Carolina, Mississippi State, North Carolina, Ole Miss, TCU, Tennessee, and USC with more to come on both sides of the ball. Again, to check that out, patreon.com slash coachvass or see it in the link tree. Again, that's linktree.com slash coachvass. Lastly, please keep great friend of the pod, Adam Gaylor, his family, and specifically his beloved wife, Kinsey, and your thoughts, prayers, and positive vibes. Kinsey has been diagnosed with a rare, aggressive form of breast cancer. Coach Gaylor has done so much for the community, and we will be here to support him and his family with anything he needs. We love you, brother. We're thinking about you and your wife and your family at this difficult time. And we know Kinsey is going to kick cancer's ass. Let's get into it, man. My guest today is Mina Kimes, ESPN extraordinaire. I'm just going to say that because you do so much stuff. Uh, welcome to the show, and thank you for stopping by. Thank you so much for having me. Um, 
I think you asked me to come on this like last year. And I said, well, I, there, why would <laughs> nobody wants to listen to me on this show, um, given what it normally is. But I appreciate the invitation nonetheless. Yeah, I think that's how I got invited onto your show. I, I, I was like, hey, will you come on? Because I was going to do a summer series before I got COVID. And I just I, I basically was going to hit up three or four of my my sports heroes that have nothing to do with what the show normally is. And you're like, well, how about you just come on my show? Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And then I had a full panic attack. I like to have experts on my show. So oh. I think that's how it came about. Well, thank you. I, I sweated more preparing for that than I did the GRE. <laughs> After we had that conversation, you're like, oh, nobody, you know, nobody's going to hear from me and all that other stuff. Just totally not true. And I found out it wasn't true because. When I came on to your podcast, everybody freaked out and was like, oh, my God, we love her. She's the best. And then I was like, see, I told you everybody wants to hear from you. So you graciously agreed to come on after all the draft madness. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I feel bad because I know this is like your vacation time. But uh, ask me anything. Okay, well, let's get started with that. So whenever your name came up, people would always be like, God, I wonder what it's like to work at ESPN and cause you're on, you were on so many different shows. You still are on so many different shows. So during a football season, you know, this show is mainly made for coaches. That's the target, but I get a lot of fans that listen, but you know, we all have a schedule uh, that we, we follow and that we create and God, we got, we've had actual episodes about this. What is a typical week in the life of Mina Kimes during football season? So this past season was my first really on the road. And I can kind of tell you what that entailed because it was pretty, pretty wild. Um, So I live in Los Angeles and NFL Live is taped in Bristol, Connecticut, which, of course, where ESPN is headquartered. And then there's a lot of other things I would do in Bristol. Um, So I would travel on Saturdays um, to Connecticut, which, by the way, really affects um, a draft prep, because by the time the NFL season ends, I really haven't watched that much college football, right? Especially, except for like some of the really, really big games, or if I can catch it, um, you know, like a West Coast game, I'm a Pac-12 fan. So there's still some time when I land, but for the most part, I'm really missing a lot of stuff, which makes my life a lot harder um, come springtime. And then on Sunday, you know, it's obviously the NFL games. So we can talk about what kind of that entails from a TV preparation perspective, which is pretty unique. Um, and then Monday and Tuesday, we were doing live studio shows, which usually starts with a morning meeting, two morning meetings, actually hair and makeup, get in at, uh, and then I'm usually doing other shows before NFL live, like sports center or first take during the season. And then NFL live is four to five. Um, and then of course, Monday nights, you're again, watching football to prepare for Tuesday. Then Tuesday I would, um, actually it, I was what I was doing a lot was actually going into New York and, and then flying out of New York on Wednesday mornings. Um, it's very it's not that easy to get to Connecticut, as you can imagine. And then on Thursdays, oh, I should actually also and on Tuesdays um, after our show is usually when I was taping my podcast. So on Wednesdays was just a travel day for me. And then Thursday I would do around the horn. And then Friday <laughs> I would do NFL live remotely from Los Angeles, which is a lot, you know, quite easier. And then it repeats. (laughs) Rinse and repeat. And I don't know if this was just a a COVID thing because just the nature of 
what that all entailed with the TV schedule. But I remember we were talking last year around this time. I, I don't know if it was scheduling coming on the show. I did a, a draft thing for my patrons. Just I, I have I hadn't followed the draft in years, but I had started last year. And I was just throwing out invites to all my friends and became like the block party. And I told them that I'd thrown out the invite to you. And you're like, yeah, I'll come on. And everybody's like, no way. Like she's talking about the draft for a living. She's not going to come on a Zoom after the draft. And you actually came by, which was blew everyone's mind. But uh, we were talking around this time. And, and I can't remember the exact circumstance, but you were like, oh, I'm on standby or I'm on, basically on call. Like if something happens. In the NFL world, in one of those conversations, you were saying, yeah, I got to be able to almost like jump on. And I was thinking like back in college when I was thinking about maybe joining a fraternity, which I, I don't know why, but they were like, <laughs> you have to be you have to be ready to come to the house within 15 minutes. And I was like, what? <laughs> that sounds like that sounds terrible. But you, you said you were like on call. Was that a, like a COVID thing? Because everybody was kind of at home and you had to be ready to jump on. Or is that all the time? Like if some crazy trade happened right now. Well, you're on vacation, so maybe it's a little different. But let's just say you're at home, you're not in Bristol, and all of a sudden some crazy thing happens in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers retires, or I don't, I don't, I don't want justice to like have a meltdown just hearing that. Uh, this is these are all hypotheticals, but something crazy happens. Mm -hmm. are, are you do you have to be ready within like 15 minutes? Like, how, how does that work? So um, remotely, not typically, I would say like in Connecticut, when I was in Bristol, you know, they really will say, oh, you're here. OK, come on, Sports Center, Right. You're already dressed and whatever. Uh, remotely less significantly less. So, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, we were doing FaceTimes sometimes to jump in. And I think that was probably the case um, when I was in Cleveland. But um, for the most part, it, it, it comes down to like, am I already in studio? Am I ready? It's very unusual that someone like me will be called out of nowhere just because when it comes to the NFL, we have like so many analysts, right? And usually there's somebody already kind of working as opposed to like, um, I don't know, hockey where there's just fewer guys. So they, they probably are called more often like a Greg Wyshynski who's terrific covering the league or Emily Kaplan. Um, but I do remember they called me <laughs> when Russell Wilson was traded and cause they did want like a reacts. And I was like, I'm at the doctor right now. <laughs> I can't do this. And so I didn't end up doing anything, which was good. Cause I, you know, I was still like, in, I think stage two of cope and hadn't really worked through all my feelings on it. Um, I think I, d I did a podcast though, maybe like later that day that I'd already set up with Nate Tice, which ended up being my most listened to podcast of the year. And it wasn't even during football season, which I guess speaks to people's love of Oh, is masochism mad now when you watch someone else going Shout through it Freud? yeah i don't think they hate me though because schadenfreude no. is normally when people are mad at you that's um, true it's it's like a kink <laughs> uh there's a, there was a lot of emotion on yeah. that pod a lot of emotion a lot of rationalizing you can actually see me go through the rest of the faces in real time uh but no to answer your question i know for the most part i don't have to be ready to go live unless i'm already in the studio Anytime anything happens with the Seahawks or the Mariners, I, I automatically think of you, uh, which I think is a testament to how much people love you. And I know you're not great at taking compliments. I heard you and Raj Bennett have like a, I don't want to take a compliment off, um, <laughs> but you are one of my favorite people in all of media, not just sports. And uh, so I, every time 
when I was watching the draft, every time the Seahawks would want to come up and I knew who you were wanted them to pick, I would like stop what I was doing. And I didn't even care. Like I'm a, I'm, I grew up a Dolphins fan. I'm not that emotionally invested anymore. Mm-hmm. We talked about this on your podcast, but every time it got about five picks away from the Seahawks, I would stop what I was doing and give full attention to the draft coverage. And, and, <laughs> and cause I was thinking about you and I think we feel your pain, especially, you know, I don't want to bring up a sore <laughs> subject with like the Mariners, but I'm a dolphin slash Marlins slash magic fan so like i i get in a miami fan i mean i went to the u and and right at the end of when they were at their prominence so i i know a good uh pity parade when it comes to sports <laughs> pity parade. That's and i'm, better, and I'm yeah, a manchester then. united fan so like every uh, I, I i feel the pain you know i think people just like watching someone who cares i know i was kind of joking about the pain fetish or whatever but um you know for so long with analysis and sports writing, which is kind of where I came from before being an analyst, you know, there was such an emphasis on don't say who you root for, don't share those interests, but like, it's not like they weren't there. Right. And I don't know. I think I've talked about this a bit, but I think there's a real difference between being a Homer and a fan. And I really don't view myself as a Homer at all. I mean, I am probably more critical of the Seahawks than anyone at ESPN. And I think that's really important because I, I don't know. I, I feel like fans, especially in viewers at our network, just generally like energy, passion and investment. And I think sometimes being honest about your rooting interests can, I don't know, facilitate all of those things. Well, it makes you more relatable. I think if you watch sports and you don't have passion and you look at it like this weird data analysis thing, as you're like watching like some social experiment, it's mm. that would be more weird. Now that would be the kink, I think, you know, rather than like, Hey, I love <laughs> this team, but it was weird for me growing up because in 1995, I went to London. My dad was teaching a class and my dad took me to this pub, which you could do, I guess this there, it's acceptable. And he was teaching me what's the dark game crickets. They call it crickets or something. Crick. I look up at the TV and there's a guy Kung Fu kicking a fan, Eric Cantona. And I was like, holy shit, I love soccer. That's my team. That's my guy. And I became a diehard Manchester United fan. And in England, most of the pundits are, I would say pundits, pundits are former players. Or if they're not, who they support is on their sleeve. There is no hiding it. There is no impartiality except for like Martin Tyler, one of these like huge announcers. The announcers tend not to be they kind of hide who they support because, you know, when they're calling the game, if they're saying, Hey, that was a good foul yeah. or a bad foul, they don't, they right. don't want that. But like matter, the, right. the pundits, you know who they love. Watch Sky Sports and they'll argue, No, my team is better and your team sucks. Mm. And then you turn on ESPN and everybody's like, I don't have a favorite team. Or, yeah, but you grew up in Houston and you have an Oilers tattoo. Yeah. I would say that's not just me, by the way. Like I, I'm on NFL Live with Marcus Spears, who's a former cowboy lived in da- you know, Dallas, he's very emotional talking about the Cowboys. And people love it, you know, and he's critical, and I think he's fair. It's- they do. Stephen A. I mean, look look at basketball. I believe there's a sect of people that root for against the Knicks because of Stephen A. <laughs> I think so, too. I am always rooting for something to go wrong because his reactions are so incredible. There have been times where I have pulled for the Seahawks when I have been impartial because of you. Mm. 
But there, there was a reverse of that with the Nets. <laughs> that actually is one of my questions is, is how do you make, how do you straddle that line? Because if you go on Twitter, you see your fandom is there, right? Mm-hmm. But on air, I think it's more tampered down. Is that just a product of, but you, we know you're Seahawk fan and you do admit it on air. It's not mm-hmm. like you're splitting sure. your personality by Twitter and TV, but do you think that's just a product of American media pundits kind of keeping their fandom in check or silent? So you think you tone it down when you're on air? Or is that just something that you do? You didn't even think about it or yeah. do they tell you to? I think it's just, it's kind of just like a moderation thing. Like if I'm asked about a move that the Seahawks have made their draft, um, you know, the question like, will be like, Mina, your Seahawks did this. And maybe I'll have a, I mean, I was really over the top last week with asking the Seahawks to draft a quarterback, but, um, usually I, I would, that was borderline, but like most part, you know, I, I, on air, I would say personality, passion, all of that stuff, authenticity matters, but ultimately people are watching for like the analysis and commentary. Right. So I think that is probably why it seems more tempered from all of us, not just me is because, um, you know, especially on like NFL Live, which is a more football intensive show compared to, I would say the other ones uh, that I'm on, it really is like, okay, we're going to talk about the football. So it's just kind of like more of like a garnish rather than the whole dish, I guess. That's true. And and I, I do watch you for the analysis, but it's because I want to hear your opinion because I think there's subjective and objective analysis. Mm. Yeah, I think like with our show, we really try to bring, everyone tries to say, okay, what am I actually good at? What is the viewpoint here? Like, I'll be candid. Like, this is something kind of alluded to at the beginning of it. Nobody's really tuning into NFL live. I think to watch me do tapes and, or to watch me or really, uh, do is a strong word, struggle my way through explaining stuff or, um, you know, like you said, break down a lapse in coverage, although it's something I, I've spent a lot of time trying to learn, but like, ultimately that's what Ryan Clark is there for. It's what he's good at. I think like, you know, I try to spend a lot of time thinking about, like you said, roster construction, the long view, salary cap, trends in football. And so if we can all talk about why is this team bad, I think having, you know, Ryan Clark and Dan do a tape, maybe, you know, Marcus Spears give his thoughts based on what he's seen and then me maybe take a different point of view. I think that's what makes, you know, shows special is hearing from people with kind of unique and different approaches. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thought about the mix of personalities and specialties. And and I know that I love your analysis, especially when it comes to like social issues and oh, the you. intersection of sports. You know, you and I, I think just reading your tweets and listening to your opinion and reading your stuff over the years, there's very few things that you and I differ on, like how we view the world and where sports is in that world. Uh, you know, analytics, maybe you and I don't agree on. And that's one topic I, I do want to talk about. And I, and I want <laughs> you to kind of yeah. sell me in a way. But uh, I love how you mix that in, how you weave in, you know, you know, this, the technical part, but you also can speak from the heart on things like, hey, this is sports and I'm paid to talk about sports. And this is this is ESPN. It's in the name. This is where this is in the world. And this is this is perspective. And I don't want to go down this road but like you know when deshaun watson gets signed or some of these hot button issues or some of the hate that and we also can get to that that you've received and you're the best at dealing with and actually one of my questions is 
how do you deal with this and give me some pointers because I, I can't help but no. react. I snap and, and I go crazy. But uh, so this show is designed for coaches. As coaches, we are preparing for games. We're preparing for an opponent. You are preparing for a show. And just like us, you have a show at, you said five, I think it's five o'clock on Monday, right? Four, yeah. Four o'clock. Whether you are ready or not, that thing is coming just like our games. And so there is a pressure of like, I got to do this. What is it like to prep for your show? You mentioned that, and not so much like the individual shows, but more of like the long view. We have to study film. We have to study opponents. We have to form these opinions. And you teach the audience like we teach players. There's a lot of parallels there. But how do you prepare for a show in the realm that like a coach would prepare for a game? Very deliberately, my answer, because, you know, between Sunday morning when the games start and Monday, uh, when we do the show, you can't watch every game, right? And so we're on a group chat kind of throughout the day and really all week where we talk about the games we think we're going to talk about. So I can either watch them in their entirety live. And I usually, you know, when I can, like I'll have like, I'll probably have two screens on full live games that I know we're going to talk about in the afternoon and then, or probably in the morning and the afternoon. But then also, um, after, as soon as the night game ends, I can catch up. Um, and then I'll try to get through, you know, one or two more games, um, depending on what's available to me at the time. You know, I used to be very, uh, dependent on (laughs) game pass, (laughs) but, um, a, a huge, thing that's helped me just frankly is um some of the things that have been become available on ngs which is also an nfl product over the last couple of years being able to get um all the different angles i want very quickly on a play-by-play to be able to filter those plays to grab tape i want or just get through a game i can actually get through a game as quickly using ngs as i was you know with the uh all 22 so uh that's just super, super helpful to doing my job. And, you know, watching all of this with an eye towards opinions, takeaways, what might be the thing we're going to talk about. Um, so it's, it's kind of like, um, I don't know, just very focused watching on Sundays and then the rest of the week's different, right? It's like catch up this, that for doing my podcasts, but I, but Sundays are the, and Mondays are very, very focused. So we talk a lot about technical stuff on this show in terms of like, do you have like a, a fancy cowboy clickers? You know what yeah. I'm talking about? The coach clickers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You got yeah. one of those no. or how, how, how no, are you I don't, consuming? No. Yeah, really. It's um, just, I, I can't stress enough how much I use NGS now to, I don't know if you're familiar with what that looks like or the No, they're very secretive. It. I've tried. I've, I've begged and, and, and pleaded and so, tried to barter and I, no, no dice. Know, Day of, you're getting the broadcast angle, uh, but, but you can just zip through plays and whatever, you know, dead plays and or if it's, you're trying to watch something, running plays or whatever. And then very quickly you get the uh, the all 22 and then the end zone. So it's um, super, super useful. And it also allows you to um, sort and look at other pieces of data. And maybe this connects to the analytics stuff um, in real time, which is just exceptionally cool and helpful. Um, you know, just really quickly seeing who's on the field, what are they doing? How are they performing? How are they doing with these groupings? How are they doing with this kind of defense? Like just all of that is frankly amazing. Um, and again, like has just made my life so much easier 
I'm just so jealous. I was shown, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with telemetry. It's a, it's a program that a lot of the NFL it. teams and I had a buddy who was making during COVID, he was making these playlists and it was like, here's all the plays that a bunch, a uh, bunch toss, every bunch toss in 2020 mm. in the NFL. And I'm like, all right, bro, I've used Exos and Thundercloud and all that shit. You, yeah. There's no chance you did this. I mean, he right. was pumping these playlists out, and then he showed me telemetry. I I, I got really happy and then cried because I knew it was going to be available to me. I, would like, tasted the <laughs> the fountain of youth or whatever and then well, had to go back to bullshit. I don't know why. I feel like I'm an advertiser for NGS now. You can also do playlists on NGS as well, which are super helpful also with just, like, Hey, we we have we are very fortunate to have researchers and assistants who can help us with tapes or choosing plays or grabbing data and I'll say, hey, can you these are the plays I want? You know, can you sort them really quickly? Yada yada. Um, and then yeah, I mean, it, for the draft stuff, I'm just exos for uh, the college stuff. So you but, have a Thundercloud account? I do, yeah. So how um, how do you manage the stress from using Thundercloud? Are there drugs involved? <laughs> Uh, you have special teas. It's not that bad. I think it's easier. It's not it's that bad. We were just talking about Game Pass. Like, oh, okay, okay. It's all relative, right? Well, because I use X. Yeah, that's true. I use Exos. Like when I go to the colleges, I'm in the network, and then I try to use Thundercloud, and it's like the Baton Death March. I, I'd rather be on that rather than than be using this thing. I mean, it's. I'm gonna do some remote work for some colleges this year, and. I got a little preview and I wanted to jump out of the window. It's almost like turned me off to wanting to do it. So I hate catapults, so I don't care. <laughs> One more tool that we have that is exceptionally useful to me for both statistics and film immediately is um, True Media. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah. But that's one where I can say I want, you know, these types of plays. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. But again, that's that's not something I really use day of. I've seen the power of it and it just makes me so jealous. <laughs> Like I've tried to figure out angles. I'm like, how can I, how can I get Barnwell to like hire me as an assistant researcher so I can get access <laughs> to this or something? I don't know. Got to get the dots. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, here's the dots I pulled out from a play that happened 15 seconds ago. 15 seconds. Yeah. Which is so like, we joke kind of like, oh, nerds only watch the dots, but the dots in conjunction with what's happening are exceptionally useful. I think that's what people lose sight of. And then, you know, they're capturing route types and I mean, it's just. It's no, with the really GPS good. tracker, I mean, a lot of the stuff. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how NGS is, but telemetry has GPS trackers. So it's not somebody it's drawing tracking, yeah. the play. It's, it's their actual movement. And if I want to pull a yeah. clip, it's easier for me to watch a three second snapshot of the dots and then be like, I want that play. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Now, coaches, professional development is a huge thing. I mean, it's a huge industry. It's basically my side business. Well, actually, my main business, where. Guys go to clinics and gals. There's a lot of Zooms and and virtual mm -hmm. stuff and a lot of studying to keep up with the latest trends in the game. Sharing ideas. You know, I've I've been on I've done Zooms this I, I actually got to Zoom with my first had my first two NFL consultations a couple of weeks ago where I was presenting to them. So coaches, that's our that's our lifeblood. That's how we keep from being stale besides at the higher levels, hiring outside people to bring in new ideas. So for for folks like you who are analysts in the media, how do you do professional development? How do you learn the latest trends? Do you consume stuff on CoachTube? Do you talk to coaches? Do you talk to, like, how do you 
keep up with those trends because a lot of times you're commenting on that and previewing what's going to happen. And so there's got to be some learning mechanisms for you as well to stay up on that stuff. How, how do you go about that? Well, so I guess it kind of goes back to my schedule. A lot of the learning takes place in the summertime because it's kind of hard to do anything but watch the games during the season and then try to catch up on the games when you haven't watched the games. It's like a perpetual cycle. Um, but as far as learning, yeah, I mean, I, so I often get recommendations. Like I'll ask Barnwell, I'll be like, Oh, I'm really trying to understand, you know, this run concept. And he'll refer me, he's in the past kind of to something on coach tube or, um, just a very simple clinic or things that are helpful for me to just kind of get a better feel for it and what should happen, you know, so that when I watch the games, I could see why something's gone wrong. Um, but for the most part, actually, a lot of my education comes from, I would say former players and writers. Um, you know, I watch everything <laughs> JT O'Sullivan does. I, for example, I think his videos are fantastic. His breakdowns have taught me so much. Um, and a, he's a really, really clear and simple communicator. Uh, so I always walk away feeling like I've learned something, not just about a player, because he, obviously he's kind of analyzing the players, but just like conceptually, um, like Kurt Warner's videos. I don't know if you've ever watched them, but again, I always yeah. feel like I learn a lot from those. Our pal Nate Tice's twitches, you know, like I, there's so many people right now who are kind of like, you know, sports media or, uh, in the case of like, Kurt, well, Kurt Warner, sports media, <laughs> JT and I think coaches, right. But like, um, who have really just learned how to like explain things to, someone like me who, you know, I obviously like spent a lot of time studying and learning football, but I'm not a coach. I'm not a former player. And I think that clarity has just been so helpful for me in terms of feeling like I'm learning more every day. I think we're in the golden age of information for coaches or anybody who really wants to learn scheme. Mm -hmm. I talk about this all the time. I get young, young people that are getting into this game and They'll drop me a line or say thanks for a podcast or have a question or whatever. And it's funny because I kind of got to where I am because I happened to be around when like football blogs started. Like back mm. 2007, 2008, there was one football blog and it was Smart Football with Chris Brown. He yeah. Not, he was an right. attorney now. He doesn't even do it anymore. And then on defense, the only one was a guy named Matt Brophy who's like literally disappeared. Nobody can find him. Really? Wow. And here I am, you know, okay. 15 years later doing YouTubes. I, you know, I try to do, we have a Tuesday night football show where we pick a game and just, I invite our journalist on or somebody that covers the team. So when the Seahawks have a kick-ass here, I may be knocking on your, <laughs> your uh, kick-ass game. I may be knocking on your door. Uh, no, it won't be this year. <laughs> you never know. Straight. I mean, what were the Bengals? They were, uh, I saw Mike Renner mock draft for last year or for this year that was released after last draft and the Bengals were supposed to pick fourth. So you never know. Wow. All you have to do is have one good game. One good game. Any given Sunday. Drew Locke ain't exactly Joe Burrow. Um, I, I will say like I learned just, you just mentioned that I learned so much from Chris Brown. I feel like so many people can say that in our industry, reading smart football, but like, oh my God, that was a real eye opener for me after college. Um, just like, damn, I really want to understand the game better. You know, I've loved this my whole life, but like, and he, I think had that, what I just described, which is that ability to communicate with such clarity. Um, and yeah, just excellent, excellent writer.
I'm excited to introduce Coach Vast Defense, a comprehensive out-of-the-box defensive system with everything you need to coordinate a top-tier defense coming in early 2025. The system is a one-stop shop and comes with a complete, robust defensive scheme with tools to get into any structure, including even, odd, mint-tight, bare, stack, three-high, and more. It comes with an NFL-level playbook with run fits and route matches, narrated install videos with a schedule for implementation, and a library of answers for every offense you will see, including the spread 11 personnel offense du jour, the air raid, the Bryles offense, option schemes including the flex bone, the wing tee, three back, and much more. It also comes with a drill and game film library, live in-season game planning sessions, templates to help you organize practice, opponent breakdown, and tools to make you a better play caller. Whether you're new to coordinating or a grizzled vet looking for new ideas, this system will have something for everyone. If you want to see all the details of the system, visit coachfastdefense.com and make sure to sign up for the mailing list to get updates and invitations to webinars to have your say in the system's creation so all of your coaching needs are met. Again, go to coachfastdefense.com, check out the details, and sign up for the mailing list. This past season, coaches across the country used CoachPad to be more efficient with their scout cards for prep on the weekends and on the practice field with their scout team. Whether you're using a computer program to create your scout cards or drawing them by hand, the CoachPad is for you. Some of the features coaches enjoyed the most this past season was never printing paper or stuffing a binder, the scout team being able to see their cards clearly, even in the bright sun, and using the CoachPad on game day to sync diagrams from the press box to the sideline. This offseason, get yours at thecoachpad.com and get your program ready for next season. Again, that is thecoachpad.com. All right, so let's talk about analytics a little bit. <laughs> sure. So I'm going to give you my honest opinion on how I feel about it, and then I want you mm-hmm. to tell me I'm wrong and prove me wrong. I'm, I'm serious <laughs> about this. like, Okay. Because I think that there is a sect of people that this is what they do, right? They, they look at the analytics side, and that's their job, just like there's coaches and there's support staff and there's trainers and all this stuff. When it gets into coaching – there's only a few pieces where I think it really affects us making decisions. So like this fourth down decision-making thing has taken a life of its own. And when those situations rise up, it's like the only thing that exists. And so you have coaches that spend like fourth down decision-making in a coach's life is like one 200th of the puzzle. And then you have people that with the analytics, it's, like that's a huge deal. And that's where their, their work is at looking at these decisions. So you have one group that I feel that's like, it's an outsized influence. And then I have another group that I think they're just plugging their ears and they're like old school and they don't want to hear it. And I'm caught in the middle. My question to you is take all the numbers out of it. I want you to educate me and people that listen to my show on the importance of these analytics and what they're used for. And Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why you think they're so important? Because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about it. Well, I think the biggest misconception is that it's just fourth down and two point <laughs> decision making. And that's largely because of that's what is fun to argue about on the Internet. And I would argue, I would say also because I think announcers are still really uninterested, a lot of them, in actually learning about it. Yeah, it's like everything's an RPO, like to them, like, oh, that's an RPO. It's like, that's not an RPO. Not dissimilarly from that, yeah. But it's a lot of, um, well, the analytics said that. In fact, sometimes, often you'll hear them say that when actually most models are opposed to something, like even an aggressive decision-making or, or have different ideas about uh, the two-point stuff, which is, you know, not 
too hard to learn. Um, at least the most common scenarios, certainly. Um, but it entails so much more than that. I think then you have to kind of split it off into, okay, the analytics we use to talk about football, like in the media, and then there's the analytics that influence the analytical information. I like to use information instead of analytics, but whatever the information that informs not just decision-making or, you know, play calling necessarily, but the evaluation of players and um, the assessment of not just individual players, weaknesses and strengths based on kind of what we were talking about, especially so much has emerged with all the chipping with the chipping rather, and which gives you such greater insight into what's actually happening on the field or like what players are good at, but also, you know, play calling weaknesses of the defense, that kind of thing. It's just more information on that front. So I'll start with the, the media side first or the communication. For me, the big change is, oh, we actually have better statistics to discuss who's good. I mean, just to really go down to the, the dumbest possible, like they're the most simplest thing, you know, for so long talking about, I was just, I'll focus on like quarterbacks and running backs. The stats are so dumb, right? Like the infamous, well, if the running back carries the ball 25 times, we're going to win the game, right? Whatever. Or a quarterback going just to completion percentage and touchdown interception ratio, right? Which is, you know, doesn't mean anything. That's just dumb info. So now we have things like, and this is constantly changing, but like, I think the one you hear a lot is completion percentage over expectation for a quarterback. It's just one piece of data. And I think quarterback play is so complicated. You really have to use a bunch of different statistics, but it's so much better at capturing what quarterbacks are actually doing on the field in the context of, their wide receiver groups and the uh, play calling, right? Then those dumb stats. So I would just say from the media side, analytics just help us use better information to talk about players. Um, you have any questions about that or then I can get into the other side of things. No, no, I, I, I totally understand that because my thought is really coming from uh, as a former coach who uh, yeah. I mean, like this past year, I was a, basically a defensive coordinator via satellite for the last five weeks of the season. I did right. everything that a defensive coordinator does except for go to practice, which was awesome. It was like being a grandparent. It's like, <laughs> Oh, I got to do all the fun shit in a year. You take the kid. <laughs> I'm going to go make a sandwich and go to sleep. But yes, I, I want you to continue. And then I have, I want to, yeah. I want to tell you my bone to pick. And then I want you to tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> a, a new bone. I hope you didn't have any bones to pick with what I've said so far. No, 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 no. I, I'm talking okay. about the so overall I think that's thing. pretty. Yeah. You're talking about the coaching side. So, okay. So this is where I think, um, a lot of the stuff, I think like the, if you, I don't know if you've ever had like a team analytics person on your pod or I think, um, their jobs are a lot more complex than again. I, I mean, most analytics personnel and teams are very private and, you know, um, obviously because they're all competing on the edges of information and, and really it is just like, okay, will this little piece of information give us another edge? And again, because we have such better, better data on players now and what's happening on the field, largely because of the RFID stuff, um, you know, you can go into a game and, a uh, you'll have your analytics person or whatever their role is or data analyst or information, whatever. And they can really point out weaknesses in opponents that they've you know been able to pick up with that information. Um, and, and then, you know, like obviously it, from a coaching perspective, you're, you've been watching the tape and you just kind of see if anything, like, Oh, here's these, this reflects what we're seeing or it doesn't reflect what we're seeing. And you kind of consider it all together, right? Oh, maybe I need to watch more if it's this, this is what we're hearing. If like, 
this guy constantly gets beat this way or our receiver is a mismatch for this player based on what we've got. Um, so I think it's really just like, okay, here's a fuck ton of information. What matters? What actually helps me in, in identifying mismatches, um, you know, play calling advantages, et cetera, what our players are actually good at, what, you know, what they're bad at. So, and then it comes to the decision-making. And I think that might be your main bone to pick with all of this. Um, you know, again, it really comes down to edges. Uh, I know it feels sometimes watching games uh, that like every fourth down decision is just like the analytics telling you to do so. And like, and certainly I would say um, most models which are of course predicated on zillions of plays and zillions of times this has happened. And, and something, by the way, that I think keep, there's constant misinformation around. You constantly hear, I think it, um, God, it was Dick Vermeule that gave an interview recently where he was like, well, they don't capture, like if our team is better than their team at the line. No, they do. Like these models do. It's not just like a binary push button. Yes or no, based on where they are in the field. It, it, they really are capturing a lot of information. So really what you're doing is just saying, Hey, like, based on the million times this happened and what we're good at, probably should do this. And then it's just one more piece of innovation that the coach weighs based on, you know, how they feel, like what they're perceiving about um, something that's not captured is like necessarily like, oh man, our defense is gassed, right? Or their defense is, pardon me, their defense is gassed. Um, all that factors into it as well. I think of John Harbaugh deciding to go for it at the end of, you know, obviously he does it a lot, but at the end of one Ravens game and they didn't, it didn't work, but he didn't do it just because the fourth down decision maker was in his ear screaming at him. He did it because he knew his defense was gassed and he didn't want them back in the field. Cause he's like, we're going to lose. We are literally down every cornerback at this point. So I think you just really have to view it all like, okay, here's one piece of information that coaches are considering along with a ton of others. And some coaches trust it more than others. I think the analytics community needs to hire you as their spokesperson because <laughs> what's the Upton Sinclair quote, never trust someone to give you an honest opinion if their livelihood depends on it. What I have seen is, and I'm not targeting a certain group or a certain person or anything, but I've had people from one company that's very vocal about analytics tell me that their own worst enemies are their own analysts because that's what they do and they want people to be invested in it. And so they scream and shout about how great it is. I simply said on a tweet that sports sports is a microcosm of life and i you know i studied industrial and organizational psych and my professor was always asking me for a sports example because io psych loves sports because it's on for three or four hours there's a winner and loser everyone knows who it is you can't pass off like oh we lost our quarterly earnings because todd didn't file the tps report or whatever you can see the whole process laid out in front of you and at the end of the day you can see the scoreboard there's a winner and a loser and all i said was Oftentimes, you make the right decision if it works or not. And my point was, Sean Payton mm. looked like a genius because he did that onside kick against the Colts and he got it and they won. Yeah. If one, if the ball bounces one different way and the Colts pick it and house it and they lose, he looks like an idiot. And my point sure. is, in sports, oftentimes you are smart or you are dumb depending on if it works or not. Now, is that right? Maybe not. Can I throw in a, a little edit for you? Go I feel ahead. like what you're saying is you're perceived as smart or dumb based on whether it right, works. Right, right. And, and this might right. be where, like, ultimately, like, I think so much of um, analytics when it comes to decision making 
is pr- procedural. It's like, okay, right. process over results. Let's just do the right, which by the way, Chris, I think that's a lot of football, right? Like you, you as a coach, even if something hasn't worked two or three times, you know, you're good at it. So you're going to keep doing it, you know? And like, I think there's definitely some crossover there. And the, and, and the next question I asked was because there was a Chargers game. Oh. So Staley <laughs> goes for it. The, Raven, yeah. the Ravens have been a press cover one team since Rex was there. Even I think back to Nolan. I don't, Marvin didn't do yeah. a lot of it, but Mike did it. For 15 years, they've been a press man team. Lombardi draws a play up to run a hitch like, with their sixth best receiver against Marlon Humphrey in press coverage, and they don't get it. So then a couple quarters later, they run the same play and they're backed up more and they don't get it. And everybody's like, well, that was a good mm. decision. And I was like, well, oh. no, no, wait, 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 let, wait, let. It sounds like that was, it's not about the actual fourth down decision. It's just the play calling was a bad decision. Right. So my point was at one point now, if Andy Reid is designing your fourth down play, or the guy from the Chargers is designed. Yeah. See, I didn't even know his name. I think it's some Dave Lombardi. My, uh, Joe Lombardi. Like, wh- where is that factor? And, and I just started yeah. asking questions, and it was, you don't know anything about sports. You don't know anything about football. You're a moron. And I'm like, my point is, if, if somebody's telling me to do something, and it could be as well-researched as anything it could be, if it's not working on that day. Because sometimes, like the Warriors, they shot 18% from three-point last night. But they're going to keep, obviously. <laughs> they're going to keep yeah, doing yeah, yeah. it. But at that point in that game, at what point do you go, hey, guys, it's not working for us tonight. Why don't we try this? And it was like, you don't understand anything. And I was like, wait, what? Wait, what? This sounds like a, a communication thing because it sounds like your dispute is with. Right. You know, the, the play calling and going back to the well. Right. And, you know, also maybe like, OK, if we've. Certainly there's an impact on a team if you've gone for it a bunch of times. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't disagree with that at all on the defense, right? right. Um, but I w- is this where I say Twitter is not real life? <laughs> it's, it's not, but the people that were saying it are analytics people that make their money and living off analytics, and that's what they do. So that's – if they're not good at communicating – But not on teams. You know, no, no, of course not. And I had people from yeah. teams – DM me and be like, Hey, this is crazy. Like that. They're not right. And all this stuff. And that's where I got educated. Yeah. But I think that's a disconnect where people go, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. And so I think then, like you said, this is just one piece of it. These decisions are just one piece of it, but because it's all we talk about, it gets overshadowed. Now can analytics help coaches at lower levels in college and in high school or is, cause that's my magic question I have. I know a, a guy who was, Literally can't. You said NFL teams were secretive. He couldn't even tell who he was working for, let alone what they do. But I asked him, can you do this in high school? Like the guys that listen to me and college guys. And and there was a question there. Do you think that's something that can be done that you could take these sort of same processes and bring them down? Or is there not enough data? Or is the data too wild and variable? Too many variables, mm-hmm. rather. So I, I don't know a lot about high school. I'll have to, you know, um, just... Uh, sort of concede to whatever, whatever you know there. But um, I, I have been hearing a lot about sort of the way it's starting to trickle down to college more and more. And it really just comes down to what kind of data do you have? And increasingly we're seeing within college football, more data is available. And I think that's really helping them a lot. And, you know, like 
it's interesting because college is always uh, usually ahead of the NFL on so many things and has been for like, you know, a long, long, long time. Um, and I think there are teams that have always kind of been a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more who have been doing this stuff for a minute. But for me, because like, as we've been discussing, like this is like, you know, like expensive information. A lot of it is, um, obviously not, I mean, a lot, most of it is, I think it's going to take a minute to kind of just truly infiltrate football at all levels. What I got from that answer is high school coaches should go for it on every fourth down and go for two <laughs> every time, right? Who's that? Who's the high school coach who never punts? What's his name? Kevin Kelly. <laughs> By the way, just to interject, like that's why high school, it's it's so complicated to kind of bring some of these principles, I think, just generally. Because you know, again, to go back to like football, like these models, these disinformation, it's all predicated on so much information. Like about yes. you know, so there's been so much NFL football and largely as much as like we can make fun of, you know, a team at the bottom versus the team at the hot top and say, well, can they even beat Bama? They're pretty equal, right? Like the like it's for the most the margins, part, yeah. like yeah, it's all in the margins, and the, and ultimately that's what analytics are doing is helping you on the margins. But there's not many times Alabama gets upset by the worst team in college football. I mean, the the time that App State beat Michigan, they weren't the worst team, but they were a division down. I mean, people still talk about that App State Michigan game, but that happens in the NFL all the time. I mean, how many? Yeah. There's been one undefeated NFL uh, champion. They every every other team has lost at some point, even if it's the last totally. game of the year. So yeah. yeah, I mean, it's hard to get the data right when you have 32 teams and it's pretty homogenous. Let alone thousands and thousands of high schools in different areas of the country, and that affects what offenses get. I mean, there's offenses that are running NorCal that nobody's ever even heard of in the South. Like, I bring mm-hmm. up these offenses, people are like, what the hell are you talking about? You want to learn something fun about football? Google side saddle T offense. Oh, gosh. Uh, your mind it's will sad. be... It involves a drill where somebody is stamping a football over a chair. <laughs> All right, we are well past our time limit that we set for this. I have two quick questions for you, and then I'll let you sure. bounce yeah. if no, I can totally ask fine. these. So your name's been bandied about future in the nfl as an executive we can zip right through this one maybe as a quarterback (laughs) let's say (laughs) everybody at the seahawks retires after this year (laughs) i don't even know who's a seahawk you you always get on well you don't always get on me last year when i was on your podcast i was like do you have any tips for me you're like hey learn their names i was like okay because i'm like 64 looks great and you're like that's, by the way, another reason why the dots are so useful. If you see, like, some, I don't know, slot corner you don't know on, like, Jacksonville get burned, you just get his name right away. Like, I, you know, it's very hard to know all of these guys' names. Yeah, I, the only reason I used to know their names is because I played Madden and I draft them and cut them and whatever, but... how a lot of people know. <laughs> whoever owns the Seahawks calls you and say, we want you to run our football team. And you get over your shyness and you take the job. And mm. you can have any head coach in the market. You can build a team. You're the GM, and you can build the team. You can have any head coach. And they said all of our unlimited compensation. Bill Gates buys the team. Uh-huh. And after he's got all his vaccine chip money. Uh, that was a joke. I don't want to get any shit about that. Um, and he gives you an open checkbook, and you can hire any NFL head coach to start your franchise over again. Pete retires. He's out. Who are you taking? So you you said head coaches, right? So I can have a guy make a lateral move. You can have anybody you to want. To be clear, that, that well, a couple things that the so 
you can the checkbook's open and I'm not going to make you give up any draft picks, but you can write a check. We all know oh. I know who you I know who you're thinking about and he loves money and the owner loves money. I think I know who you're going to take. And that owner I don't loves know money. I'm going to I'm I'm writing a name down. I'm going to write a name down okay, now. Now do this. this is really great. great. This is really great for audio. <laughs> I have the back of a Walgreens receipt. Near no, me. let's do this. You're, right. you're predicting me here. So and you can have anybody and no. And, and the reason I want to take away draft implications is because I want you to make like a decision based. You can literally have whoever you want. Okay. All right. I've written down my name. I don't know if you're gonna be able to see this. This is, I, I, this is great for podcasting. Great right? for podcasting. I trust you. Okay. All right. I'm going with Andy Reid. Holy shit. I was wrong. I wrote McVeigh. Oh, no. And is that backwards? I don't know. I think I'm backwards on camera. But what if he retires? He seems to have still a lot of energy. I mean, okay, you know what? Maybe I'll change it. My other choice is Matt LaFleur. Over McVeigh? Yeah. Wow. Is it because you think he's going to run off with this uh, supermodel and take the Amazon gig? Or or you just... He's definitely definitely been bandied about for a lot of gigs. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I just think, like, there's so many reasons that go into this. I feel like this is a long No, no, and I don't want you I don't want you to yeah. listen. I know like I'm I, sticking with Andy Reid. You're sticking with Let Andy Reid. Let me have Reed. Andy Reid. I just love him. Yeah. I love what he does and I love How much of it is the Hawaiian ability. shirts? Let's be let's get in the analytics of that. You, you know, Give me a well, percentage. All, Andy Reid being so I'm a nerd, so that's a dude who loves to go for it too, right? But um I just really like how he's kind of evolved over the years and even in season and I think that's a, a quality that I just really love about coaches like I'm like okay and, you know, it's the second half of the season. What are you doing? Because they figured you out in the first or you have dif- different players. Someone's injured. And I think over the not just in Kansas City, but over the course of his career, I've always been impressed with his ability to be adaptable when it comes to offense. I know he's not directly responsible for it. Spags is. But what their defense did last year was yeah. insane. Again, another like in, the evolution and the adaptation. And like, I, I find that to be so impressive. Okay, so we'll go read 1A, LaFleur 1B. But if you call Andy and he goes, listen, I got two years left. You sure you want to do this? You're building a brand new, you're, you're taking over a franchise. You want somebody for the long haul. LaFleur is your 1B. Okay. Why LaFleur? I, like I think he's done a fantastic job there. I mean, um, you know, the success speaks for itself, obviously. But two things, I think. One, I think his ability to get Aaron Rodgers to buy into his offensive system, which I don't know if you remember the first year Rodgers really didn't, and it didn't, it wasn't, didn't look that great. Um, and then over the next few years, you could really see him playing within structure and the structure of what LaFleur does, which is, you know, as you know, there's some differences between him and McVay in terms of like what they've done. Uh, I, I just find to be, I mean, obviously he's going to be tested a little bit this year with the loss of Adams, but I find that to be impressive. And then another thing I find to be impressive is how he has managed the team a very chaotic situation over the last two years. And I don't think it would have worked if not for him, which probably speaks to his interpersonal skills. That's a great answer. Now, if you listen to Mike Lombardi, he says, you know, the NFL's turned into independent contracting, which he is he he is right to a large degree in terms of like he, he called McGruden the one hundred million dollar offensive coordinator. Cause a lot of those guys say, Hey, yeah, you do whatever you want and I'll come deep- talk to you on Wednesday afternoon and give my feedback and that's it. Even Belichick 
And I had Dean Pease on the podcast two years ago, and I was like, how much was Bill involved? He said he spent 30 minutes with us a week. He followed Tom Brady around. And, you know, so a lot of this was is subcontracted. Those guys have, especially yeah. like the media, like with McVeigh being in L.A., he's got, I think what? he's got more demands on him where he's like off somewhere else talking to somebody else. And the other guys are in the room. You know, Liam Cohn's going to be in the room, like coming up yeah, with a plan or whatever. Fun, fun hire. I, to that end, though, you know, just talking about the head coach as a manager, I think John Harbaugh ranks extremely high in my list. What we've seen over the course of his career, and I think this is probably has a lot to do with the special teams background, right? Um, because special teams guys, they work with everybody. And I think, you know, he, he is, that the fact that he's just kind of shown buy-in to his coordinators and hired very good coordinators, and, you know, you can pick nits with Greg Roman's passing game, but... um you know, whether it's Martindale or now McDonald, I have no concerns about John Harbaugh's ability to be the CEO. Yeah, he's he's fantastic. And and getting getting that shot as a special teams guy. I don't know if that happens in 2022 or 2023. It's just him and Bill, right? Belichick in the right now. Yeah. I mean, Bill, Bill was Obviously, he did a lot of other things, but yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he was a defensive coordinator for a long time. But yeah, I don't. Th- those are that's. I mean, Basaccia was very close with the. Well, I actually don't know how close he was mm-hmm. with the Raiders for them to actually keep him. But anyway, so you you call Coach Reed and Coach Reed says, "I'm in." <laughs> All right, this is even makes the question better. I'm in, but I'm out of here in three years. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get this rolling, and then I'm gonna mm. go. I'm gonna go to Hawaii, and I'm gonna go live it up and. Relive my punt, pass, and kick glory days. Yeah. So here's what I'm going to let you do, Mina. You pick the coordinators. Oh, gosh. Again, I can do lateral moves. So I can take a... The only I, I thing you can't do is make a head coach an OC. Because that, be, that would be too easy. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm just looking at the teams right now. I'm thinking about the offensive... It's a lot of pressure. It can be a position coach if you want to roll the dice and take a Joe Brady and move him up to OC again. I mean, I mean I, you can do anything. And here's the thing. You can take college guys, too. Because I would tell you who my defensive coordinator would be. Tell me. Dave Aranda. Not someone I would. Oh, yeah. That, shit. That's, a, that's the right answer. <laughs> and, um, and he gets to bring Ron and all those guys. Uh, yeah. Damn it. Well, no, no. Um, I mean, that's your... I mean, I just... Uh, I may piss a lot of people off, a lot of friends off that's going to listen to this, but uh, what he did and he took wreck, you know, cause I know the, the intimate details of how he built his defense. He took mm-hmm. what Rex did. He took what Fangio did. Uh, he took with Greg Brown, who's a former Colorado uh, DC with his, all of his simulated stuff and made it into college. And now the, the Eagles, the chargers, the Seahawks a little bit, the Vikings last year, all running his tight stuff in the NFL. It's kind of mind-blowing to see. Here's my gripe mm-hmm. on the NFL. I'm going to say this 30 seconds, and then I'll shut the hell up. College offenses are now in the NFL, and last year when I was getting ready for your show, or maybe it was, no, actually it was, because like, I did years and Mays back-to-back. We were talking about college influence, and um, I called Gary Patterson, or I texted Gary Patterson, you know, Pete Golding, all these top defensive minds in college football, and he said, how many NFL teams hit you up about how to defend this shit? And I think like two of them said, yeah, one team called me last year. Mm. Did I did I stall okay. enough? No, yeah, well, a little bit. I'm looking, I've been just looking at listing teams. and Because oh, the problem is a lot of the guys I would have wanted, not a lot of them, but 
some of them became head coaches, right, this offseason. So I'm, like, trying to remember who replaced them. Um, I would, would you really have taken if I would ask you this question in uh, eight months ago? Start there. Well, yeah, right before the end of the season. I mean, well, I, I would have had Brian Dable do a lateral move, <laughs> I guess, uh, before he became a head coach. And then defensively, I was really impressed with Raheem Morris did down the stretch for the Rams um, and, and the success he's had at various stops throughout his career. Uh, that's, and you know, just from whatever, everything I hear from players, he's an incredible teacher and which is something I think is obviously the, if not the most valuable quality, extremely valuable. Um, so maybe I would go with him. The most impressive thing about him is how they said, you have to run this defense. Yeah. And their install in 21 for training camp was literally Brandon's lifted. And I think he like mm-hmm. in, incorporated but, a couple other concepts. And yeah. Then, and then I think as the year went on, you saw some, you know, of him putting his own stamp on it and also like making really, really smart, I would say game to game decisions based on their opponents that I really loved. And not modifying the structure. I really like when they brought in Morris, um, you know, just again, given we talked about the Tampa too, just like Atlanta, his day Atlanta. I was like, what's Willis really going to look like? Is he going to really stick with what they've been doing? And I, again, like I, adaptability is so important to me, not just in coaches, uh, but also like human beings, I guess. And I'm just so impressed by anyone in the league who does that even after they've had success. All right. Championship question. I asked this to all first time guests. Here's the scenario. Fourth and nine. Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. 35-yard line, 11 seconds left. They got a timeout. Too far for their kicker, really automatic within a certain range, but a little too far, so they're going to go for it, get the first. Not a crazy huck-a-hail-mary situation. They're going to try to go to the sticks, get 9, 10 yards, get down, call the timeout, or get out of bounds, maybe even try to get another play in. And all things are equal, so they don't have some superstar. (laughs) What's your call? Are you gonna are you gonna play coverage? You're gonna bring pressure. Oh man. What are you gonna uh, do? okay. All right. That, this is not my forte. Um so I've anticipated this moment, Chris. And <laughs> I've dialed up, you know, a little bit more cover zero throughout the game than I normally do. Ooh. We get to fourth and nine, show blitz, simulated pressures. They're completely the quarterback is completely perplexed. My star pass rusher gets to him on a four-man rush. Game over. Ooh, I like it. I've taken way more time than I was supposed to. Thank you so much for coming on. This was such a treat. You are one of my favorite people. Keep being you. And I hope to talk to you soon. Thanks so much for having me. A big thank you to Mina Kimes for joining us on her vacation, no less. Had an absolute blast talking to her and i hope she comes back in terms of the pod soon for everything related to me in the show all the links websites patreons all that jazz go to linktree.com slash coach vass and as i mentioned in the intro please keep the gaylor family in your thoughts and prayers as adam's wife kinsey kicks cancer's ass we love you we're with you and if we can do anything for you please do not hesitate to reach out. The community has your back.
good?